Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you, Neil. Um, thanks, Chris, for sharing the song with us. Thank you to your home group for all the readings. It's uh, yeah, I recognise you without your mask. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Michael. I can live with that. Um, it's the last week of Isaiah this week, and I want to finish off some things. Let, let me remind you a little bit where we've come from. Isaiah is a book of two halves. First half, it's very much um, starts with this vision of God as holy, holy, holy. He is separate, above, righteous as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, says Lord. He is just and righteous. And he calls his people to share in his holy glory and justice, and we know that we fall short. We all like sheep have gone astray. But the second half of the book brings this good news that God doesn't use his holiness against us. He doesn't use that as a barrier to separate us from himself. In his grace, he reaches across that gap and he loves and restores. He is the great redeemer whose plan is to renew and bless and bring transformation and life to his people. That's who he is, holiness and love. That's the tension that's at the heart of Isaiah. I shared this diagram with you last week. Um, I'm not sure how many people actually like weird diagrams that don't have label axis. Um, but uh, this is my attempt at um, putting this on paper, this diagram, this tension between God's holiness, which separates us from him and is revealed often in judgment and God's grace and commitment to relationship which is revealed in uh, undeservedly giving blessing to people. He doesn't give up on his wayward people. But the tension is he doesn't give up on the high calling he's placed on us. So as, as Neil and Chris have just sung, we've, we're left with this tension in this book. God is holy. We are not. God is gracious. And we don't deserve it. God promises, um, this is what I will do. He says, the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. And again, shout for joy, ye heavens, rejoice, ye earth, burst into song, ye mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Righteousness and compassion. He is the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, yet not leaving the guilty unpunished. He has high expectation and high grace. So that expectation is talked about in the New Testament. The vision that God has for his people is that we would be holy like he is holy. 
That's what it says in Peter. Be holy because I am holy. That we would walk in his ways. That we would do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That is the calling on us. In the words of the New Testament, that we would be salt and light. That people would look at us and see something of the holiness and justice and majesty of God reflected. It goes even further in the New Testament. It says, actually, you are to be Christians, little Christs. When people look at you, they should see Jesus reflected. That's the calling on us, that we would become like Christ. How does that sit with you, that you would become like Jesus, that it's God's vision for you? The, um, the puzzle at the heart of the book of Isaiah, the tension at the gospel actually, is this. God will keep that vision even though we fall short of it, even though we can't do it in our own power. He will keep his promise not out of obligation, not because we deserve it, but out of promise. He will reconcile us. It's, a case, it's not a case of if you live up to this standard, the standard, how holy do you need to be to be able to come and share in the life of Christ? The promise of God is not, if you live up to a standard, then I will accept you. The promise of the gospel is, if you are humble enough to recognise you don't live up to my standard, I will renew and give life and welcome you into Christ and begin that work of transformation to lead you onto the goal. Uh, he's leading all of us. None of us are going to hit the goal before we shuffle off this world. Some of us are closer than others. Uh, I'm not. This is what it says in Romans. Salvation does not therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy. We are saved because of God's mercy. And understanding that truth is at the heart of the gospel. It sounds simple to say. It's very difficult to do. Because we find comfort in our own efforts. We control what we do. And to trust in God's grace means actually letting go of control. It means saying, it's not about me, it's about you, and I will put my faith in you, and I will trust in you. It's very hard when we have to release that control. It's much easier to depend on concrete things. God loves me because of the fact that I did this. It's like the Pharisee in the temple that Jesus told the parable of. I am right with God because I'm not like that Pharisee, that, that tax collector over there. I, I give my tithes and I go to the temple and I do all the things that I should do according to the law. Therefore, God welcomes me. And all the tax collector could do in the story was get on his knees and please plead to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I don't deserve it. Have mercy on me. 
And the great irony that Jesus says is that the tax collector went home and sat right with God, while the Pharisee did. The one that trusted his own efforts fell short, and the one who trusted in God's grace and mercy was set free. That is the great and terrifying news of the gospel. It doesn't depend on us. Salvation depends on God's work, mercy. It is his work from beginning to end. And accepting that and putting our trust in God is at the heart of salvation. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has done in Jesus Christ. He's paid the price and set us free. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. If we're willing to accept that truth, we actually have to accept that we are in need of God's salvation. That we are in need of his mercy. That we haven't hit the bar. And we need to humbly come and say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Something that Isaiah was very critical of the nation of Israel because they were unwilling to do that. Um, Isaiah 30 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, No, we'll flee in horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. God offered his people salvation, but they said, no, actually, we're going to, in our own strength, save ourselves. We will put our trust in things other than your promises. Uh, we don't tend to put our trust in horses anymore, uh, except on Melbourne Cup Day as a nation. But... We do put our trust in metaphorical horses, other places where we think we will find strength and salvation. We do exactly the same thing. We look to anything other than God to offer us security and control and salvation. This is what it says in uh, Psalms, I love this psalm, hooks right into this idea of putting your trust in a horse. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength, which I take great comfort in. A horse horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear. On those whose hope is is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. How good is that? This morning I had, um, God may be doing a couple of things this morning. One of the things he may be doing is revealing to you something other than himself that you are putting your hope in. Where you think, if I do this or don't do that, then that will lead to salvation. God, that thing will deliver me. It may be a good thing. The Pharisee in the temple 
it's a good thing to care about God's laws and want to live life well. But when that becomes your hope, you've replaced the outworking with the source. God is the source. He is our hope and strength. And the starting point for life in Him is humility and confession to say, Lord, it is you alone who sets us free and we put our trust in you. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Because the good news is the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. God may be commanding you to repent this morning, to cry out to him, Lord, I need you. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. On the flip side to that, uh, you may be down the other end of the spectrum. You may, strength may be the opposite to what you're feeling. It may be weakness and emptiness. And I know um, that there's many things in this world that can weigh us down. Um, especially at this time, people are nervous. There's, there's a sense of the um, weakness that we have and the brokenness of this world. And, uh, sometimes that can get on top of you. Some, sometimes there are these times when we're painfully aware of all of our shortcomings and our lack and that we have nothing, that we fall short. We spent some time in confession a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you found that time quite easy. That you found it very easy to say, here are all the places where I fall short and I am empty and I have nothing. And you didn't find it very easy to find many places where you're doing okay. You found it quite difficult to name your good qualities. If that's you, let me offer this invitation from God revealed in that passage this morning. You can come to God empty-handed. You can come broken. God longs to be gracious to you. You can wait on him. It says uh, about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. He will take us by the hand and lead us into life. He will turn mourning into dancing. He will heal and restore. In fact, he said, unless you come to me like a little child, you can never enter the kingdom of God. You can come to God empty-handed. And he will pour life and blessing into your hand, overflowing. Shout for joy, all you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and has compassion on his afflicted ones. You can come to God empty-handed. Maybe um, you particularly need to hear that promise this morning. 
pray that the truth and the joy of it will sink into your own soul. That you will trust that God is a gracious God who we can come to in all our weakness. He doesn't just want to forgive us either. Um, you know, when you are aware of your emptiness, it's very hard to see very far ahead. I don't know if you've ever experienced that place. It's like being in a hole. You can't see anything around you. But God's plan for his people is not just to lift them out of the hole. It's actually to help them lift up their eyes and to give them a hope and a future. He says, I have plans for you. Uh, he doesn't just forgive us. He comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit and says, right, now that you are trusting in me, let's go. Here is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to pour my life into your life. I want to teach you my ways. I want to lead you along good paths for my name's sake so that you can be that person that I created you to be. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be a sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. That's what we've been talking about, the fear of the Lord, this recognition that, God, I don't deserve to be for you as your child, but I trust that you call me and that you will go to work and you will give me wisdom and knowledge and restore your holiness in me. So that's the second promise that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, you can come to God empty-handed. There is nothing that you need to bring into God's presence for him to accept you, except a humble and trusting heart. But number two, God has a hope and a future for you. Whoever you are, you can come to God hopeful that he has not only dealt with your past, but he will give you a future. No matter your personality, your idiosyncrasies, the things about yourselves that frustrate yourself. Um, if anyone's a human being, you probably know what I'm talking about. I have those things in my life and I'm like, why am I like this? Why do I do this? The news of the gospel is you are created in God's image. There is a good, pure, holy, life-giving way of being you. Not being someone else, being you. It's created you for a purpose, prepared good for you to do. And as you put your trust in him, he will teach you his ways and renew his image in you and lead you. That's the mystery of the gospel. It says you are in Christ. Not because of anything you have done, but because he has opened up the way. You are in Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. Uh, it's, it's kind of that image of putting on uh, your dad's dressing gown and slippers <laughs> when you're a kid and dressing up. You've clothed yourself with Christ. And you're starting to learn how to fill those shoes and fill those clothes. The Spirit of God will be at work 
to teach you how to be a grown adult child of God. Not a little baby anymore, but, but a mature, whole human being who reflects God's glory, still in part, but is growing into that. Um, let me read to you as I finish up from the book of Peter. He um, lays this out in a really helpful way, better than I can say. So let me share with you the words of Peter. He said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever doesn't have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. God has saved us for a reason. It, he didn't save us because we were holy. He saved us so that he could teach us how to be holy. He hasn't given up on his plan that we would bear his image. And in Christ, he's made a way for us to uh, come back to him, be reconciled. And in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, he is teaching us and renewing his image in us. He'll keep at it. So partner with him. Join in that uh, mission. Go out in confidence that there is a holy way of being you. And if you listen to Jesus and follow his ways, he will lead you to that truth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we've heard this morning for the Bible reading, for the song. We thank you for that promise that um, you will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Lord, we thank you that this promise, this life, this um, <coughs> grace doesn't depend on us and the things that we do. It is secure in you and what you have done in Jesus Christ. Thank you that what we could not do, you did by sending your son into the world. Father, thank you that now that we are in Christ, you have begun the work of restoration. Thank you that we can live as your holy people. Thank you that you are teaching us your ways that you are adding goodness and godliness. You are helping us to be the people that you created us to be. 
Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us. Not just for our sake, but so that people would see you reflected in us. That they would come to the knowledge and the joy of salvation. And that they could share in the hope that we have. The hope of holiness and glory that is coming. So we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for this truth. May it seep into our heart. May you uh, rid us of any attitude of pride or arrogance that looks for strength in other things and bring us back to the fact that we already have strength and power simply through trust in you. Amen.